Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on July the 15th, 2011. I will suggest for newcomers you should look into the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and you'll find hundreds and hundreds of hours of audios for download for free where hopefully you get shortcuts to understanding this complex system you're born into. And I give you the names of books, the big players in this world order. It's always a new world order as they get the next step, step and the next step done. It's always the ending and the starting and the ending and starting of a, a new world order. They know where they're going, of course. And hopefully, as I say, if you listen to these audios, you'll get an idea of how it truly works, including how they manage your spare time and all the uh, fads that come and go in, in culture and uh, and why you do the things that you do and how you interact the way you interact with people. It's all planned that way, and you'll find you're not really in charge of your mind at all. In fact, you're going along with everyone else simply because they're all going along with everyone else. That's how it's designed to be. And uh, when you're at it and, and downloading the audios, remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you so you can help me roll along, at least uh, crawl along, perhaps, by buying the books and discs I have for sale at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order or cash, or you can also uh, use PayPal. Uh, you'll find a donation button there on the com site. What to do is um, uh, send off what you want and then follow it up with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. And across the rest of the world, you have Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal once again to order or donate, and just that's the way it is. I try and simply record what's happening as we go along and fit it in with the past when big decisions were made to bring this system in. And um, I give you names of players, some of the meetings that they've had, these global meetings. They're, all, they're always having global meetings. Every day, I think, across the world, there's private and public enterprises on the go, but they're global meetings, all sectors of industry and all the top politicians that deal in national structures and international structures with these corporations. We're so far beyond the nation state, it's unbelievable, and yet at election time, out come the flags, and you're supposed to vote for the nation state once again. But uh, in reality, we're international, have been for an awful long time, and when you look into the United Nations, for instance, you'll find out the reason it was constructed was to bring in global governments, and the books written around that period made no bones about that whatsoever. It's just that the public weren't quite ready for it, and so they had to go back and hide it a little bit. But you think it was just nice guys in blue helmets handing out chocolate bars to children and starving countries and all that kind of nonsense, when the opposite is true. The UN is set up as a super government for the whole planet with its different branches, 
In fact, it has a comparative branch for every national and federal level bureaucracy that you can imagine, right down to the local level. All our laws really come from, from there, and they have done for an awful long time. Uh, and they're stepping it up, of course. Uh, these laws, by the way, are just signed in by executive orders or orders in council, as it's called in other countries, by prime ministers and presidents, and uh, it doesn't even get discussed uh, at any uh, parliamentary or congressional level at all. Been like that for an awful long time, and your education system is uh, unified as well uh, through the United Nations, and um, you'll find <laughs> you'll find too that. Uh, uh, it comes down to even your, your local education board as well. All the curricula are the same, and uh, it's designed that way. A common culture across the world of happy, pretty happy sheep as we go downhill. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix. Now, as I said before, I tend to chronicle what's happening, the events which are happening in our lives, because we're, we've got to understand uh, that uh, the nation state really is over. It was over a long time ago and we've been paying uh, money to international organizations since at least 1946. And um, it's simply escalating now because we're in, we're interdependent, as they keep telling us. Maggie Thatcher kicked that one off. Uh, she actually, was, she was the one who clicked, kicked off global warming as well as a fad, as something to, to get popularity among, amongst people and, a, and create a crisis that could be used to control people. And that was picked up by higher authorities. And now, of course, it's uh, going to be a big boon for the bankers. Anyway, we're interdependent, they keep telling us, and the UN is to be raised up to its, its real uh, important states, the state it was meant to eventually arrive at. Uh, in the early days, the, the, there were so many arguments after they signed all the agreements in San Francisco uh, to give authority for their armies, to for all armies, well, of all the signatories to the United Nations, and yet they could never get them all on board at any one time to do anything. Well, now they can, you see, and they're practicing it now. Obama's using it as well. He's even said he doesn't need authority from the Congress to go to war. The, U, the UN gave him permission. And basically that's how, what they're doing today. Uh, the, the UN is rising up. All the organizations attached to the United Nations, like the IMF, the World Bank, and a whole bunch of uh, other big bank uh, groups, they're all private, of course, um, are all on board with it too. Everything's being integrated across the entire planet. They, we, we share intelligence with all the ones on board, uh, all the allies, as they say, and uh, that's all your personal data as well as shared with all the Europeans, for, for instance, and corporations as well. It's amazing how corporations have, uh, they have the status of a human being, basically, and all the rights of a human being, and yet you as a human being uh, couldn't go and snoop on, on anybody else's data, but they're allowed to do it because they get partnerships with governments. It's quite something, isn't it? No one really questions that anymore. I guess we're all too busy having fun because that is really the technique that's used today. Keep us spinning in trivia, lots of sex, and, uh, and, and moronic comedies until uh, we're really all in the, in the pit, basically, and we'll all wonder how we got there eventually. Here's an article, for instance, that came out last December, and it was from a healthcare uh, uh, site, 
It says US and Europe sign accord to foster EHR compatibility. It says uh, European Commission Vice President Neely Kroos and US Secretary Kathleen Sebelius signed an agreement in Washington to collaborate on EHR interoperability. What is that? The United States and the European Commission have signed a memorandum of understanding to work together on compatible formats for EHRSs, which is electronic health records. Now, what would Europe want with your electronic health records? And to pr- promote education and healthcare technology. See, across the world, uh, the poor folk, you see, you, you would still get cheap uh, internet and stuff like that, but you'll be getting your diagnosis over the internet and told how to treat yourself or simply walk into a clinic and if you can't afford it, and they'll give you a very cheap pill that'll give you euthanasia. And you think, I'm kidding, <laughs> not at all. That will come. That really will come. You know, Mad Magazine uh, packed in. Uh, it was a very surrealistic um, uh, magazine to do with cartoons, almost caricatures of characters. You can't you can't really satirize society anymore because we've gone beyond it. We are living through the craziness parts of everything, and the public are just accepting it. So you can't even satirize it. This is Vice President of the European Commission uh, and the Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, Catherine Sibelius, announced and signed the memor- memorandum on December 17th at Transatlantic Economic Council. Now, what is the Transatlantic Economic Council? Look it up for yourselves to see how integrated we are. A political organization that fosters economic cooperation between governments, but you see, also make sure that your tax money goes to build this infrastructure to share all your health records and everything else as well across the whole planet. Interoperability of HRS is essential for the e-health market, that's the electronic health market, to grow globally, according to the Commission. You understand the same techniques that were used to build national roads and railways was always taken from the taxpayer, of course, and then handed over to private corporations as being used to build this big e-system for e-health across the entire globe. And uh, that's what they always say, oh, we can't, no one has got that cash to do it on their own. We need big cash grants from all the governments involved. It's a win-win situation for private corporations today. This is under the terms of the memorandum. The HHS and the Commission will exchange delegates and specialists to share information on e-health. They set up joint working groups, workforces and conferences to establish shared strategies on EHR. S's. Adoption of HRS is four times higher in the EU than in the US, the Commission reports. Anyway, they go on with a lot of usual pablum they give you for PR and uh, without telling you all the, reason, all the reasons that we're doing it. It says the US government is investing $20 billion, that's your tax money, towards the use of EHRs under the American Recovery and Reinvestment Acts. The partnerships between the EU and the US, the two world leaders in e-health, sends a strong signal to all stakeholders that common standards and improbability bring opportunities for a global approach for the benefit of patients. It's going to really benefit you. Yeah, that's where they're throwing this money at it. Health systems and the market, the EC said in a statement. So in other words, you're paying for all, and you're paying for lots of parts of Europe as well. And I just thought I'd rub that in because we're getting hit for every other country on the planet right now as we all go down like dominoes one after the other. But it's always cash to give to the, the big private multinational corporations. Now, this article here is about the Bohemian Grove, because I think they're meeting and uh, shortly. This is the hackivists' next, next target, the top secret society where rulers of the world meet every summer. 
It's a, a notorious group of hackers has called for the infiltration of a top-secret elite society as it stages its annual gathering in California. I think there's a, a, a bit more PR about it, and the top guys get there and make big decisions. But in actual, actuality, I wish these hackers would just go after the characters themselves and countries as well. None of them spared. Not, no, not one single country spared and share all the information between the politicians and their memos and everything else that they're really up to because um, you don't need to go to the Bohemian Grove for that. They could just use their skills, you know, these special skills they have, and find out what's really going on in the world and maybe inform us what's happening because we don't know. We're, not, we're told nothing until anything's done. I always think a gopher, you know, a groundhog, when you look up out of the ground, because you hear a noise and you see something on the horizon kind of coming towards you. By the time your eyes focus, it's rolled over you and it's off in the other direction and disappearing over the other horizon. And by the time that's happening, there's another thing coming from the other horizon again. And, and that's how fast things go now because all they're doing now is implementing strategies that took years to plan. And uh, they're simply implementing them now. We're signing agreements now. All, all the bureaucratic legwork has been done years ago and the commissions and, and sending papers back for re-evaluation. All that's been done many, many years ago on every level, and that's why they can roll ahead with the system right now. Now, there's a caller from the U.K. hanging on, so it's a long distance. I'll take him now. That's Daniel in the U.K., if Daniel's there. Hello, Daniel. Yeah, hello there, Alan. Um, yes. I just have one quick um, question. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, I've been reading some books on the Gestapo and the Stasi, and it seems that the, um, in both those cases and in others in Russia as well, the essence of a police state is, um, is actually more the citizens policing each other than actually the police, isn't it? And I suppose that's why they can um, afford to get rid of lots of police, because they're sort of training us to be suspicious all the time. And I don't know what it's like over there, but over here it's, it's quite... Every tannoy announcement in the station... And other places, you always be suspicious, report suspicious behaviour, um, and this sort of thing. And um, it's having an effect because people um, notice it. Um, is that what it's all about? Is it emphasising us policing each other? Absolutely. The, the society they're bringing in is one of total um, information network, they call it. Total information. That means not only must they always know for every second of the day where you are, but they must also know, uh, they must also be training you to be obedient and subservient to this new authoritarian society. Authoritarian is the key here. That's what the Club of Rome said. It would have to be authoritarian, uh, post-democratic. And you're being trained step by step that you really are nothing in society. You're also being trained by the articles of, that they make sure appear in the newspaper that uh, they're ready to taser you to death or kill you on the spot, which a lot of them are doing across the world and getting away with it. That's part of it. That if you step out of line, in any, even even if you're um, a bit mouthy back to the cops now, um, they can kill you. And, and there's articles in the papers here, I haven't read them this week, but uh, I have them where uh, some one guy got his head blown off for talking back, you know. So this, this, they make sure this gets out to you because you're supposed to be a very wimpy, scared um, an obedient uh, school child, a perpetual school child in, in this society, and that the authorities will tolerate no disobedience. Yeah. Because they, they know, actually, they haven't got enough police to go around, and that's why they need to make it psychological, don't they? I mean, it's the psychological bullying, like you say, because they can't, 
it has to be by consent, doesn't it, rather than by force, because they can't force us all, can they? They can't. Um, when you look at some of the old World War II uh, documentary clips they show you, when you see a, a whole bunch of people outside, a, say, an old factory or somewhere, uh, maybe at, at two dozen of them or three dozen, maybe more, and then there's German guards, four or five guards around with, you know, with bolt-action rifles. Um, I used to always wonder why these people didn't storm the five guards. Yeah, you maybe they maybe kill five of you before they could reload, but at least you could you could get them down and get away. But people don't act like that. Everyone thinks out for themselves, and therefore no one goes forward and takes over to save themselves at all. They just obediently jump in the trench and get shot in the head. Stay on the line, and we'll talk about that when I come back from this break. Hi, folks. I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix. You still there, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I'm still here, Alan. Uh, I was going to think. I was thinking there too. The Russians did it more effective or efficiently. They used to send six guys with pistols with six prisoners at a time out the cells. Then they'd shoot them. So that's more of a terror thing because even if you thought we should try and overpower them, there's still one one for each one of you basically there. But of course, the Germans only used a couple. But but I think it was. Um, Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago talks about the conditioning um, of, this, of the people through terror. And he said that when he was a little boy, uh, he and a friend used to go to the top of a hill and watch the prisoners coming back from work details in the Soviet Union uh, going back to camp every, every night at the same time. And he said there's only two guards at any one time, and maybe 30 to 40 prisoners. And he said one night they were watching and two men, one at either end, obviously it was planned, uh, hit the guards, knocked them out, or stole their rifles, and then started yelling to the rest of them to run. And they stood there like dumb sheep, and, and then looked down at the ground, and after about five minutes, they, they just started shuffling off back to the camp. And another two guys ran away. Well, you see, that's the end product of when you've been dehumanized to that extent, and you're fear, afraid of living and afraid of dying at the same time. And even though they're going back to camp, they might get killed anyway or accused of, of helping their others escape. They, they, they'd still go that way because it was obedience to authority. Obedience to authority is being promoted to the hilt right now, and that's part of the intense conditioning we're at, until we're totally dejected, dehumanized, and nervous around authority figures. A, a perpetual child has been abused. That's what they want society to be, and, and they pretty well got it in a lot of uh, spheres, you know. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, what, what makes people justify their own suffering? Because I speak to people and I moan and moan and get, have a rant and say there's a higher prices, there's the cost of living and everything else, and they say, well, you know, we've got to pay more taxes, and I can understand higher fuel prices because there's more cars on the road, and I can understand paying um, a bit more um, for food and this, that, and that, and I'm thinking, what, what, why are they justifying their own suffering? Yeah. It's because of the intense propaganda they get. Uh, and it's also because they don't want to... See, secretly they're all terrified of being noticed. Uh, most folk in society don't want to be noticed. 
and uh, unless it's some special parade or something where they can do whatever they want. But uh, most folk don't want to stick their heads up because they're all afraid of each other now in society. So when you're asked a question, you try and be politically correct in your answer so that they'll say, ah, he's one of us, we're all, we're all the same, he's safe, you know. And because, because Britain especially has higher, but actually they're paying now informants, so many, even the children are being paid to inform that everyone's scared of everybody else. It could be your neighbor, a person at work. Uh, that's how the Soviet system ran all through its era, right down to East Germany too, with the Stasi. Uh, the Stasi eventually had one in every four people as a spy. And Britain's not far, but I, Britain's about there now too. Britain, I mean, Britain, I don't know what it's like in North Korea, but I'm sure Britain is the, um, Britain's almost like a test bed for all this stuff. They, I'm yes. sure they do it all here first, and yep. then they roll it out yep. across... Um, it's out, a flagship. It's a flagship, absolutely. In fact, Britain's had more hammerings than any other country because technically the people haven't really had a break uh, between wars uh, when you're not getting a physical war. Uh, and you have had war, continuous wars. When you go into the wars since the Rothschilds took over the Bank of England, and then they could find they could fund wars and, and always borrow money and then get the taxpayer to pay it back, that's when it all started with the Redcoats. Before that, there was no Redcoats. And so they got the first standing army with the bank and Rothschilds and went to plunder the world for, for the elites. And... Um, and they, they would uh, lend to, the, to the, the government, supposedly meaning the nation, and then make, make the nation pay it all back with excess interest. But Britain never had freedom of war, or in between you'd have depressions, uh, economic depressions. So they never, not one generation had peace, you know that? Not one single generation had peace. Yeah. So effectively, because uh, I always think about, I think of Britain, I think of that panopticon that Jeremy Bentham invented, yeah. and we're essentially living in a... Um, an electronic version, aren't we, in Britain here, or in other countries, an electronic panopticon, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You remember, too, that Britain uh, had a monopoly uh, for, for most of its existence uh, with television by the BBC. And the BBC uh, hired nothing but uh, Etonians, by the way. That was a rule. And they gave the culture, changed the culture, degraded the culture. And uh, But they also had they used Tavistock Institute. There used to be a mental hospital and in World War One. Uh, they revamped it up to get uh, to use the Soviet techniques, actually, of of controlling the population through psychology, and so they had masses of psychologists working and psychiatrists working uh, on even simple dramas and, and and your daily soaps and all the rest of it. Uh, lots of messages get pumped into the British mind, uh, and it's mainly to do with compliance and obedience to the authority once again. Uh, never stick your head up, never uh, complain, just take your punishment like a good little schoolboy and, and, and maybe we'll let you go home. That literally is the system that Britain has used uh, more than any other country in the world. Yeah. You understand most of the stuff that Americans watch, most of the, 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 the series that they watch in, in America, uh, was all before that was tested out on the British society. They had Robin's Nest, that became Three's Company in Britain, in the U.S., and they had, they had um, the other one too, it used to be called, uh, was it just Arch or something, uh, who was the, the bigot type character who lived in London, didn't like any other peoples, etc. That eventually became a, a hit in the US for years with Archie Bunker. Uh, it was all done in Britain first and tested out there. And that's, that's no coincidence either, it's a worldwide system. Works in one country, it'll work in another. But, but thanks for calling. And, thanks, uh, Alan. Yeah, back after this break. 
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, we're back and cutting through the matrix and there's also Willis hanging on the line there from Idaho. Are you there, Willis? I am, Alan. Uh, say my, my question today, you're just, you know, almost due north of us. Have you, what kind of winter did you have this year? Um, I've seen worse. It was certainly cold enough, but uh, I've seen worse with snow-wise. Did you get a lot of uh, precipitation after, a lot of rain after the, uh, after the yeah. snow stopped falling? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we really did too, and, and what I'm wondering is, is uh, we're seeing different weather pattern, patterns uh, develop, you know, all over the country at least, and I'm, I'm hearing at least uh, uh, worldwide in different places droughts where they're not supposed to be. My first part of my question would be, do you, you know, the, the Earth's axis is tilting. Of course, the elite saw this coming uh, would be, I guess, my guess. But also, uh, how much does HARP play into this, do you think, and is this the new norm? It's the new norm. Uh, uh, back in two, uh, 98 was when they started spraying daily here. And they, sp- they, uh, they were spraying at least half the height they are now. Uh, it, was so, it was so obvious. It was like walking into a science fiction movie when you walked outdoors. And, uh, and then in 1999, uh, for the first time on the weather, uh, just the CBC weather at the end of the, their news, uh, I saw the jet stream come straight up. Uh, the, the west coast, like a straight line, on a drafting board, uh, and literally at Vancouver, it took a right turn and went straight across the country in a straight line. And it was at the same time that, that Big H had come out with his book on um, the harp uh, uh, abilities for warfare purposes. Now he demonstrated a lot of his technologies and, and so on. He had all the all the data on it. It was declassified. And then at the United Nations, of course, I, I find all this stuff as well to do with the Treaty on Weather Warfare, have gone back to the 70s, and they said that one of the easiest things they could do is alter the jet stream. And they could guide uh, rain in towards an area and create rain, uh, again, by a different kind of spray at the same time, or they could make thunderclouds disappear. And so for about four or five years, we had nothing but droughts in Alberta and Saskatchewan, where that's the big farm country, and the same thing happened in the, the U.S. breadbasket. And so they were dissipating rain clouds and giving us intense heat. And then after that was done, they gave us intense flooding in those areas. So they can do either. You'll find all of these things uh, literally are harp controlled. It's not a testing anymore. This is routine. Uh, and, uh, and it's down to a fine art. And I can watch them spraying. I, I can tell by the type of spray they're using, that the shade of it, if it's going to give us rain or just overcast like eggshell great you know color and uh, or if they're going to give us a thunderstorm you can always tell which kind of weather you're going to get plus you feel it too by the way you yeah. mm. so it is going to be the new norm for so these northern latitudes uh, here in the states uh, we're going to have long winters no growing season i mean my growing season this year uh, was cut down by two months. Everybody I know uh, lost most of their garden already. So Same here. Same here happened. People planted, and then they were flooded out in Ontario, and planted again. Same thing happened. Yeah. So now it's a very late growing season. Very short, too. And so th- does that have something to do with the grand design as well, is to create, help create the food, sh- food shortage? 
no doubt about it. I mean, when the Royal Institute of International Affairs can talk about the coming food shortages for, and they've had think tanks working on it for 16 years, then they have to make, they have to make it happen. And as you know, um, what's interesting too is that uh, in Chile, for instance, even though it's not officially a complete um, partner in NAFTA agreements, uh, the big Monsanto, the big five agribusinesses have been setting up uh, our tax money and putting it into Chile now for about 15 years uh, and building them up to be the, 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 green, the green basket for the whole of the Americas as they flood, flood the rest of us or give us drought. So this is the way of the future. Food, water, all important things to live on. You must be interdependent, which is the opposite of being independent. Uh, and I've said, I said years ago you wouldn't be allowed a garden eventually uh, in fact, that was outlawed in some part, uh, parts of the Soviet Union, even after the Soviet Union collapsed. Um, but so you would be, you'd be outlawed to even grow your own food because you must be dependent for everything you need on this system. Yeah. Insanity. Uh, oh, it's power. You. It's power. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Alan. And thanks for calling. Yeah, you don't have to. To uh, as I say, you don't have to go into wondering if the earth's tilted or whatever. The fact is uh, we have the technologies to do all of this. They are doing it, and there's been enough people awake for long enough who, who've noticed it from the beginning too. And as I say, you go into the United Nations treaties and the subsequent treaties that have signed every other year on weather warfare. Uh, this, is, this is not sending little rockets up like China does with uh, silver oxide in it to create rain. This is way beyond that. They're using magnetic pulsing and uh, ELF waves. Uh, exactly, that Teller talked about using this technique back in the 1950s when he worked with the Pentagon. Look, look him up. Uh, he's a, one of the co-inventors of the H-bomb. And uh, he said, we can use this technique for warfare. It'll make the atom bomb obsolete, he said. Uh, weather warfare. It can wipe out entire continents, he says, by drought or, or by flooding. And this is, uh, and he said, by spraying the air with metallic particles. He discussed the types of particles that are being used today, FT analysis of them. And he says, in using ELF waves, uh, which we now call harp waves, uh, from that, the, the, the main one in Alaska. But they have them all over the planet now, and they're using them to their full capacity. And, of course, they'll blame the public as well. The beauty of a, of a system of um, perversion is perverse at the top that run the system, obviously, sadists. And uh, the, the beauty of the, the technique is they always blame the abused for what happens. To them, after, after spraying you and all right, they say, oh, you're causing global warming. There's too many of you. So that's the beauty of this technique, and it works awfully well. It's routine. It's not testing anymore. It's been routine for quite some time. So we'll just to get used to it. Uh, so that's really what's been happening in the weather department. <laughs> and But, I, yeah, I, every other, other day after that, I saw the same thing happening. It was incredible watching the, the jet stream come up on the, on the big... Uh, on, on the, the, the screen or on their picture and what was even more strange was that the, the guy made no reference to it, the, the guy who was announcing it the strange phenomena that was unique as though it was every day I suppose he just said it so casually and I thought I guess we're going to see this all the time now uh, and this is what we have been seeing these strange weather patterns but it's modified weather and that's been one of their goals for oh, an awful, awful long time modifying the weather as child's play today. They don't make installations like HARP, like the, the HAARP project, uh, and use so much of your tax money 
just to make uh, beautiful towers they can take pictures of. They, they make them to use. And what's beautiful about HARP technology and the treaties of the United Nations and, and every other treaty of the United Nations, they're allowed to use weaponry upon their own populations for control, but they're not allowed to use it in warfare. That's what the treaty is about with another nation. You understand? That's the beauty of the United Nations. Now, there's another article here about uh, perception management, and I've talked about so much uh, of this in the past. Our perceptions are completely distorted. We always come away with the perce- perception that uh, the big managers wanted us to have. And I don't know how many of you have noticed in the last while uh, that many of the sites you try and get into or you used to get into very easily, is sim- they're simply disappearing. You can't get them or your, your, your browser won't let them through or they can't find them or whatever. That's all part of the Pentagon's project I mentioned the other day too. But here's an article here. It says, Pentagon uh, Perception Manager knows how to manipulate the search engine algorithm. The Pentagon announced today that the Internet is an active operational domain. I mentioned that the other day. It's on another site here now. It says, in fact, the Internet was already targeted by the Pentagon in its 2003 Information Operations Roadmap roadmap that outlined a strategy to fight the net as if it were an enemy weapon system. The strategy is outlined for the public involves protecting national security and sensitive government networks from high attacks. That's the excuse they give you. Information warfare is a front line of battle in the 21st century, a fact that the Pentagon is clearly aware of. Well, they said that back in the 80s, it would be information warfare. So it begins with getting inside the algorithm. In other words, when you're looking up some topic or whatever, and we're all monitored now, uh, again, routine, uh, daily, then they can uh, they can send you sites that they want you to read, but perhaps not all, all of the sites that you would, you would read if you had access to them. So you come away with a distorted perception of what things are really about. You've got the PC, uh, authorized version of perception on a particular topic. So it says perception manager John Rendon is a key figure in the information war. As Rolling Stone reports, his job was to sell the Iraq war to the American people, but Rendon firmly denies any involvement. As of 2005, John's firm, the Rendon Group, has earned more than $56 million in Pentagon contracts. In his newly released book, The Filter Bubble, What the Internet is Hiding from You, Eli Pariser of MoveOn.org interviews Rendon, where he kindly spoke of perception management in the digital world. Specifically, Rendon hints that he knows how to game the system of search engine algorithms, the system by which pages are linked, uh, are ranked and internet searches are displayed, and in turn shift the mindset of the masses. So, there's nothing new in this at all. It's just really doing a similar technique on, that they've used on the news, television news for the last 50 years or so. As his Rendon stated during the interview, it begins with getting inside the algorithm. If you could find a way to load your content up so that only your content gets pulled by the stalking algorithms, then you have a better chance of shaping belief sets. They're quite open about it. It says Rendon hinted to Parser that this was already happening. Now, I mentioned an article um, about a week or two ago. It's called Hide, H-I-D-E. Homeland Security, Biometric Identification, and Personal Detection Ethics. Uh, as though uh, there's any ethics involved, because we're not supposed to know what's even happening. And uh, this ties right in with, again, uh, the management of your perceptions as well. Because this is, I'll read a little bit of it again, it ties in with this. Hyde is a project promoted by the European Commission 
and coordinated by the Centre for Science, Society and Citizenship, an independent research centre based in Rome. And it prattles on about ethical privacy implications. Like they, 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 They've got ethical privacy implications, and I'm, sh- I'm sure they're worried about it, because I've told no- that the general p- uh, person in the population knows nothing about this. But it's to do with biometrics and personal detection technologies. And it says, um, they're used to detect something or someone within a security or safety context. Personal detection technologies focus uh, specifically on individuals. They include, for example, CCTV, infrared detectors, and thermal imaging, GPS, and other geographical information systems, RFID, MEMS, smart ID cards, transponders, body scanners, etc., and all data. Biometrics is an application of technologies that make use of a measurable physical characteristic or personal behavioral trait in recognizing the identity or verifying the claimed identity of a previously registered individual. And if you scroll down, I'll put this link up again, if you scroll down, you'll see all the masses of things that got lined up for you, every single one of you, and they're working on it right now without much problems or ethical problems either coming into the equation. And one of them is, it says this, Another company that works with them says, ACTIBIO, ACTBIO, will research and develop a completely new concept in biometric authentication. It says, the extraction of multimodal biometric signatures based on the response of the user to specific stimuli. So when you're using the computer, you're constantly being stimulated whether you know it or not, and it's watching your reactions while performing specific but natural work-related activities. The novelty of this approach lies in the fact that the biometric measurement will correspond to the response of the person to specific events being, however, fully unobtrusive and fully integrated with an ambient intelligence infrastructure. Your little personal computer, like that personal touch they put onto it. So there you are. It's um, fully unobtrusive fully integrated with an ambient intelligence infrastructure. It's so far ahead, and of course we're just a sheep at the bottom. And I said this would happen years ago. I said uh, you, you get all the free stuff to begin with, lots of variety, lots of choices, but then it'll narrow it, narrow it down. Then the mainstream will come in. They'll start getting rid of all the other uh, alternate news. Uh, and, then the, and they will know, they will know eventually that if they've got enough entertainment on your computer, you'll still keep watching it and using it and using it for your banking and so on because your computer really is part of the control structure for, for here on until you give it the brain chip, basically. And that's just the way it's going to be. So I'll put that hide one up again. And as I say, scroll down, look at, look at all the things that lined up for you. It'll blow your mind away. I put a list up before. And uh, literally, the whole lot is to, to do this stuff without you ever knowing what's actually going on, ever, ever knowing what's going on. They'll even know how you're feeling when you're, when you're watching certain things. I mean, this is, no kidding, this is what it's all about. To get back to what the first caller, too, who talks about um, how you can get beaten down, so, so morally beaten down with threats of unemployment or real unemployment and massive suicide rates and all the rest of it, and no future. I've seen the, the whole lot in Britain, for instance. Here you are, here, here's how the, the big guys at the top rape you once you're down, you know. Uh, Walthamstow in England, it says residents are charged with terrorism premium for insurance. Residents are being forced to pay a premium on their home insurance due to a perceived threat of terrorism. It, it, these, these sharks should all be kicked out, you know that. You know, so people can find a, a planet that, that had no air in it or something and send them all off. The whole lot of them. And, and clean this place up. 
says freehold managers PLC has notified leaseholders of Warner Flats as apartments that they must pay an extra £68, uh, I guess that's a month to do, due to the foil plot in 2006 to blow up transatlantic airlines. Three men from the borough were arrested and subsequently convicted of the terrorist offences, but five years later, residents are seeing their bills rocket as a result. As a condition of their freehold in the properties, leaseholders must take out specific insurance with the company, leaving them with no choice but to pay up. Waltham Stowe, Member of Parliament, Stella Creasy, said she was furious when her constituents informed her of the move, describing it as extremely offensive. Well, that's as bad as they can get, you know. Oh, that's terrible. Don't say that. That's extremely offensive. I think we need more than that, don't you? Huh? I think we're beyond being offended, uh, you know, uh, by this kind of stuff. It's beyond that. These, these people are pillaging and raping everyone into utter dire poverty. They really are. But anyway, we don't have to worry too much because 42% of Britons will get cancer statistics show. And they're very happy about it too, apparently. New cancer statistics show that 4 in 10 Britons will get the disease in their lifetime as the incidence of cancers rise. Say charity, a charity saying it. I don't know what charity this is. The number of Britons who have or have had cancer increased from 1.5 million to 2 million. But advances in treatment mean survival rates are improving. Utter rot. That's a, that's a plug for the cancer charities because They've done nothing with their cash. Very little of it goes anywhere. I'm sure what's left goes to biological warfare because they certainly haven't changed burn and slash for 100 years. That's what they've given you. Take these poisonous drugs, and if they won't kill you, maybe you'll live for a bit longer, maybe you won't, and then we'll x-ray you. So the two things that are guaranteed to cause cancer, that's constant irritation with these particular chemicals, and x-rays and radiotherapy, that cause genes to, to change, uh, that, that's going to cure you. It's like taking snake oil after a snake bite. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, coming through the Matrix and... It's, it's, no, it's no coincidence we're all getting cancer because, you see, they, they injected this stuff into us with the polio vaccines a long time ago. They've also altered all your food that's actually soaked in pesticide, the worst kinds of pesticide. Plus, uh, they actually engineered it to, to create its own pesticide. So it's also sucking up the stuff from the ground as well, from the super weed killers that they give with each new modified seed. Uh, and it's creating its own pesticides. So the body's not meant to take these poisons in. It kills weeds off, it kills everything else off, it kills the bees off too. So it's, it's no wonder we end up getting cancers because long-term irritation, as I say, of any chemical will cause cancers. And they know this too. But uh, it falls in with uh, the big agenda. It's not just population reduction. It started off population reduction for the West. It was the West they wanted to destroy, actually. It was a target for a long time as Tony Blair says, to destroy the, the culture and any memory, in fact, of an old British culture, for instance, and an American culture, Canadian culture, it's all the same. And um, then they'd flood it in with immigrants from various places and, and give them a new culture, which is basically obedience, because most of the countries that are flooding in have never known what democracy meant. They've never known what it is to, to, you know, to stand up for their rights. And uh, that's a perfect society for slaves. But then they'll bring that them down too as they start eating the same food and they'll start going the same way. 
So, you see, we're under warfare, and we're born into a war. The war has been in all the populations of the world. You've got to read the old League of Nations, the pre-United Nations organization. Actually, it's the same organization, because many of their precepts are exactly the same as the UN. And, uh, and they had the Department for Population Control and Reduction set up in 1917, and, um, or 1918. And then they had uh, the same kind of thing that everyone in the world must be inoculated to all known diseases. And that was, that was amazingly done by the same organization for population reduction. It should give you a clue what's been done. Now they've split it off into Department of Population, just call it, and the World Health Organization, but it's the same organization, the United Nations. That's how we're, we're run. It's just like the same thing that, that article I read there where they talked about um, unobtrusive um, surveillance and so on. As long as it's unobtrusive, it's awfully it's okay, you know, to, to, to intrude on them. They won't know they're being intruded upon. And getting back to the color two, it talk, I was talking about how they, they killed off people in the Soviet system. It's far more efficient than the Nazi system because it had been a hundred years to plan it. Uh, you ought to see the, the documentary or the kind of movie drama uh, documentary. is called The Czechist, C-H-E-K-I-S-T, to see how it was done in the Soviet Union and how anyone could turn in any neighbor and there was no trial, nothing. You were simply four officers sat in a room getting drunk. Uh, they would just go through a list of people and decide who was getting shot that day or the next day. And uh, how efficient they were, uh, right down to the, they always killed them in basements. They had chains to go around the ankles and they hoisted them up and they went out, out the coal chute, basically, dumped into trucks. This went on year after year after year. Millions were killed. And this is a system that a lot of your present politicians I uh, think it was kind of wonderful if they just altered a, thing, a few things here and there. Totalitarianism it has the same face uh, eventually. It doesn't matter how it starts off or how, what uniform it starts off with. It always ends up with its same face for all peoples. And that's pretty where we are today. We're seeing it for those who are a bit blind. We're definitely seeing it in your face today. And also put up two, uh, two links to Executive Order 13575 which is a really UN Agenda 21 in disguise. And you can look at these short videos on it too. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>